0: Hello and welcome back to this week's episode. And this is also a solo episode. If you listened in last week, this is the follow up episode to our series on how to rethink our performance management or performance appraisal process. So, last week uh, we looked at how you might consider where you are currently within your organization. Um, and this week we're going to talk about the evidence that you might gather from outside of your organization. So, we've talked before we know that it's advisable for us as HR or people professionals to be as evidence-based as possible. There isn't always objective evidence available to us, although that is what I'm going to look at in this episode and share that with you. But last week was very much about how you can gather evidence and information from within your organisation to make sure that the decisions and changes you're thinking of making are well thought through. They're not knee-jerk. So you can go back and listen to last week's. Um, There's downloads that support all of these three episodes. So I'm doing a similar follow-up episode next week, which is all about the practicalities. And this episode, I'm going to share with you the information that we got from a research review, we engaged with a Professor Nuno de Camara a few years ago who trawled through the last 50 or 60 years worth of evidence about which aspects of people and performance management were actually linked to positive outcomes. So it's you know it's, it's difficult because, of course, um, lots of this would be incidental. There's not loads of research that's put into things like this because there's no one necessarily who invests in it. Uh, but he was able to trawl through... All of the evidence that was available in terms of correlations um, where these sort of uh, people performance management practice or HRM practices were linked to increased productivity or employee engagement. So outcomes that our organisations would consider worthwhile generating. If you want to gen- if you want to download the whole research review, there'll be a link in the show notes for you there or you can go to the Actus website and you can download it there too. So one of the first points to be aware of, and I alluded to this, the same researchers, Beckham and Insler, they pointed out that their high-performing organisations use their performance management process to keep the following promise to their employees. Basically, they're saying that a performance management process is is stating, if you meet or exceed the expectations of your job and contribute to our mission, then we will meet or exceed your career and reward expectations. So that might seem like common sense, but one of the things that we often find is missing is a true sense of balance or two way. And I talked about balancing people and performance in last week's episode. And it is important to make sure that our performance management process is in balance. It's genuinely designed to benefit both the organization and the individual. And When you look into that as to how you might generate that balance, make sure it's two-way, there were eight key features that came out of the research review that make the most effective performance management processes. And I'll go through each of those within this podcast episode. So I'll run through them quickly now and then I'll group them together to discuss them more practically. Uh, And next week we'll look at how you can actually include them within your design, the design of any appraisal process that you decide to put in place. So the first one is goal setting and I'll just run through them now and we'll discuss them in a moment. So goal setting, the second one is ongoing feedback in line with performance, then strategic alignment of goals. The fourth one is trained managers Fifth one is having coaching and development. Six is consistency and transparency. Seven is having a climate of trust and support. And eight is recognition and reward of performance. So logically, we need to build all these aspects into any performance management process that we decide to design. And as I say, I'll work out, I'll share ways in which you can do this practically. And if we want to do this, we need to really highlight these and I'll I'll group them together to make it simpler for us to talk about this cohesively. Clearly if you want to go and look at the individual research you can go to research review itself and download it. So if we start by grouping goal setting, feedback in line with performance and strategic alignment of goals, what are these really saying? And actually goal setting is the number one most common it's be, the best researched I think piece of evidence that you see in terms of direct correlation with performance or it recurrently comes up time and time again that if you don't have quality goal setting you're not likely to have high performance. So it's really quite a robust finding in behavioural science terms that we need to make sure that goal setting is going on in our organisation if we want to drive high performance and you know the good old SMART acronym Many of us think, oh, yes, I know what SMART is, but sometimes it's underestimated as as to why it actually is a pretty good acronym as they go. So if I was to say that your goals should be S specific, measurable, achievable, then the second R Oh, second hour as the first hour, sorry, These is relevant. And what we mean by that is strategically relevant. And then, of course, you've got time bound. So within that SMART acronym, that is actually implying that it's important that not only are my individual goals specific, measurable, achievable and time bound, but they also need to be relevant, i.e. aligned to the strategic direction of the business. That benefits the business, but it also benefits me because it means that I can see and I'm focused and motivated to achieve them. And what I'm planning to do on a day-to-day basis in terms of my performance objectives is seen as meaningful. So it ties me in. We talk about the golden thread. So that's quite an interesting one, really, because it's it's also there are other aspects of the goal setting that they talk about. Um, if there's evidence that if you have a goal and you consider it to be stretching, it's actually more motivational than something that you consider to be easy, which is interesting. And not only that, this whole concept of A for agreed. So some people say achievable is the A in SMART. I would also say think about agreed because, again, if you think about when you say your own goal out loud, whether it was an exercise goal, you commit to something external, you have a conversation, then you're bought into it. So this whole SMART acronym, if you add in not just the specific, measurable, achievable, relevant and time-bound, but you make it strategically relevant, you make them stretching objectives and also agreed – All of those actually are playing into the motivation and the power um, of what a really effective goal looks like. It's something that we're motivated by. We know specifically what to do. uh, We know when we need to do it by. We think it's achievable, but it's worthwhile achieving because it's stretching. It's challenging enough, but not impossible. And we've said out loud, we've committed to it. We've agreed to it. Then you can see why actually good quality goal setting is quite a powerful tool. But you don't want it just on its own, because if we don't also have feedback with that and you know, ideally in the case of uh, performance management processes, that would be feedback between an individual and the line manager. But it could be ways in which I can reflect on my own performance. I could be updating my own performance and taking responsibility for that. Then we need to make sure that we've got that sense of progress. And this, of course, is one of the reasons why. Uh, you know, a once yearly approach doesn't really work because goals need tweaking. I sometimes think of a, a goal or an objective as a bit of like a navigation system. If you're on a boat, you could set your direction in a certain way, but you have to keep tweaking to stay on track because, you know, the, the waves and the wind and things will take you off course, which is just like the busy life that we have out here. There's always distractions, aren't there, that take us off course. So we need these goals to stay on track, but we also need to have regular regular feedback against them to check that you know just those sort of ways of staying engaged and seeing if we are on track and actually is that direction or destination still relevant so goal setting with regular timely feedback is incredibly powerful it sounds obvious what we need to do therefore is think about in any process that we set up then actually the goal setting should be the key point of it And it's surprising when you think about this, because probably everything I've said up to now, you thought, yeah, I know that. It's common sense. It's obvious. Smart's been around forever. However, many of you, I'm quite sure, if you looked at your organisation, you'd know that the pinnacle of the performance management process would be the appraisal conversation. It's like the main thing. I still work with organisations that come and say, yeah, we're not really bothered about anything else. It's just all about the appraisal. But the reality is what's the point of an appraisal if you haven't agreed objectives or goals in the first place? What are we actually appraising? Uh, You know, in terms of those eight evidence-based deliverables that um, the research review threw up, was appraisal one of them? No, it wasn't. So arguably, you could get rid of appraisal altogether, although in reality, that's probably less realistic than some may feel. But I'm going to say get rid of appraisal altogether, but only if you were going to replace it with goal setting and feedback, goal setting and feedback, goal setting and feedback. The reason I would suggest that it isn't an ideal to get rid of it, the appraisal still has a place, is because it works really well as a culmination of a series of goals and feedback. And if you want to have the ability to deliver positive consequences to those who are high performers, it's quite difficult to do that if you don't have some sort of timetable of culmination. But the point that I would like to take away from this is that if you only have appraisal without goal setting, what are you appraising? So for me, appraisal is just an incidental. If we've got effective goal setting, regular feedback going on, and those goals are strategically aligned, which those first three evidence-based points, then that would be the place I would start if I was designing an evidence-based performance management process. And when you're doing this, one of the challenges I sometimes hear is that organisations don't always have their overall strategic goals ready at the start of the year. Perhaps, you know, unfortunately, quite often, goals are known only to those at the very top. And it can be the case that that becomes a blocker in terms of kicking off a process because the strategic goals haven't been cascaded. Maybe taking this of evidence to the people at the top and explaining how important it is, even if you don't have the precise numbers of the goals, but having the, the general strategic direction of what's important from the top down is really, really helpful if you want to drive a real focus in terms of performance and making sure that people are aligned. And of course, this then flips through into the second couple of points, which was about management skills, managers having the right training Uh, and also coaching and development, which there's two aspects to for me in relation to this. So first of all, in terms of management skills, well, do your managers have the skills, knowledge, motivation to carry out continuous performance management? Has it ever been role modeled for them? Do they think it is of benefit? Um, Are they recognized if they do a good job? I mean, the the evidence clearly demonstrates that people perform better if they have this high quality feedback, which, you know, it's not just, high quality feedback is also specific. It's actually a skill to give high quality feedback. Do your managers generally know how to do that? And not only the feedback, do they get coaching to help people to go to the next level? So, um, if I'm developing a skill in a certain area, if I was given specific feedback about what I was doing really well and where I had gaps and was coached as to how I could close that gap, then that is a skill on behalf of the manager that I'm working with. And that is one of the most effective ways of helping me to grow uh, and to perform even higher. Not all managers have either the skill to do that or the time or patience. And you know if are we actually setting that expectation in terms of our organisation to to ensure that managers who go into people management roles have been trained about the value of of these sort of activities are they recognized for those are the expectations clearly set that across the organization we have to behave consistently which of course is point five in this list or six in this list actually consistency and transparency Um, You know, all of these link together. You can see it feels very much like common sense. But remember, this has actually come out of research reviews as the things that come through time and time again, if you want to make sure that people are motivated to deliver their best. So in terms of our coaching and development and training our managers, we also have to be clear in terms of the expectations of a people manager. And this links back to if you're going to have a process Although we've said earlier, in theory, the appraisal is not the most important thing in the world, what you do need to do is make sure that there is some clear expectation about the frequency of conversations between manager and employee, ideally a timetable. If you are to be able to react to the outputs of any performance management process then you need to know when those outputs will be available so if you want to do a training needs analysis for example then ideally you need people to have completed those within a certain time frame so that you can uh, pull reporting on those if you've got a system obviously it's much easier but uh, if it's manual then that's quite a time consuming thing to be able to extract those those development needs that people are requesting so it all needs to line up Um, and be seen as part of this overall strategic process, it's not a tactical process, and we need to understand why it's important. And part and parcel of understanding why it's important is people realising that these activities are directly related to performance, to success of the organisation, and I'll come on to success of the individual, and our managers need to value this process. And those managers who do it well, need to be valued, they need to be recognised for doing it. So coaching and development needs to sit in the process, whether we're talking about coaching and development from the point of view of the manager developing the individual to perform or for people to see it as an output. So we talked last week about one of the complaints about the appraisal process people have is that nothing comes of it. Sometimes they feel that there was no purpose to it. Well, sometimes even if you can't, if you can't link pay, loads of businesses are unable to link pay to performance at the moment, um, or even if they can... Uh, it may not be valued because, in times of high inflation, if you're in the as we have in the UK, then uh, people think it's an expectation, it's a requirement as opposed to a reward. However, you can't always link reward, as in monetary reward, to things. But people getting the opportunity to um, get, get some specific development that's perceived as of value. So there are other ways. So coaching and development, in terms of a reward, an output, or a consequence for someone who is performing effectively is legitimate as well. And that is where that particular point, point six, consistency and transparency, that links in in two ways, in terms of people getting the opportunity to access development um, in a consistent way. Because you have a consistent process, you're looking at training at a certain point in the year, everyone is following that consistent process. It's not just you know, Joe Bloggs favourite person who gets the training and development. Actually, we all go through a process at a certain point in the year. We will look at who is going to get access to development, who's going to get access to reward if that's aligned, who gets um, the opportunity to go forward for career progression. Um, if you do things like pay review, the transparency point means that you have got, uh, a process that is demonstrably fair i.e. a calibration process or something like that if you're actually going to align rating with reward. So again, these flow into each other. This concept of coaching and development, is that applied consistently across the the organisation? Are there transparent opportunities for people to access coaching and development? And any kind of reward or outcome that's related to your process, is that applied consistently and transparently? And of course, you can't really be consistent and transparent unless you have a defined process. so again this goes closes the loop a bit linking back to what we talk, what were talking about last week is those people who actually would just like to get rid of any kind of requirements or definition at all it isn't really realistic because as soon as you do that you'll get an ad hoc approach in your organization there'll be a lack of consistency, lack of transparency, and ultimately, it's likely to go backwards in terms of performance as opposed to forwards. And again, point number seven is a climate of trust and support. They almost feel like these points, they all like a massive Venn diagram of eight points here, isn't it? Because they link in as well. For us to be trusted as individuals, as managers, HR professionals, as an organisation, people need to trust that everyone is treated fairly. And again, consistency is a key part of that. If we need support and help, we need to get access to it. So do we get the development that we need to give of our best? And then finally, recognition and reward of performance. Even though, as I mentioned before, we may not always be able to offer financial reward, are we able to recognise or are we able to offer reward in a different way? Do our managers know what people value? And this links back into the ongoing conversations, because one person maybe considers that uh, training is a reward. Another one might think that time off is a reward. Another one is access to development or another one might be um, pay. So people are motivated by different things. But the important thing is that we are recognising them for their performance and we are seen to reward them in a way that's appropriate to them fairly. And that's really, really important. So I guess in summary, you can read through the whole report for yourself. It's got some really nice tables in there and you can get the facts and you can get the actual um, references and who'd carried out the research. Uh, The really main thing is, you know, it's not rocket science. The last 60 years of behavioural science research make it clear that any process that we design must include goal or objective setting. It needs some sort of regularity, so therefore one-to-ones or check-ins would make sense to have those defined in a consistent fashion to provide feedback and coaching for people. It needs to incorporate development and to be applied consistently across your organisation. As I said, you know, I guess you could chuck out appraisal, but that would probably be counterproductive because if you don't have something that's a culmination or a series of things where you have little small opportunities to take stock and gather key information. Ideally, if you've got a system, you can pull that information out real time, but how can we respond and develop people and provide recognition, career opportunities in line with their performance, or let them feel like they're empowered to access it if you don't have a way of seeing that. So making sure that you've got that visibility if you possibly can. So the main takeaway for me there is that the appraisal is merely a culmination or touch point in our process. It shouldn't be the end in itself. Uh, but if we have visibility of these outputs, that is really helpful because that will help us to act on it effectively. So that's the key summary, I guess, of what the evidence says. Let's just remind ourselves of those eight I say, interlinked points. The eight key features that emerge from the research into what makes performance management really, truly effective in terms of productivity and engagement. Goal setting ongoing feedback in line with performance, aligning our goals strategically. It's about having trained managers who provide coaching and development but also are trained and have uh, coaching and development themselves. and in addition to that it's giving people access to coaching and development that can be a motivator in itself. It's about whatever we do being really consistent, so not ad hoc. It needs to happen consistently across the organisation. We need to be transparent about how we reward and how we apply it. There should be a climate of trust and support for people to respect the feedback that they're getting and there needs to be recognition and some form of reward, not necessarily monetary. Obviously, if it is monetary, that needs to be objectively uh, distributed, but recognition and there's some consequence Um, that comes out of it. Now, interestingly for me, if you did listen last week, I can see quite a lot of links in those things which are positive, correlating with the things that people complained about that I alluded to last week, you know, particularly where people moan about things being ad hoc, about there not being any consequence to things, things being tick box exercises. Those complaints wouldn't exist if you have a process that is really living and breathing those eight key features that we've just outlined. So hopefully that gives you a little bit more inspiration. We're really in a position now where we can think about we're going to rethink our own process. We know what our organisation is complaining about or unhappy about and maybe what we need to change. We also know what the research says in terms of what good looks like. Next week, I'm going to talk about how you could implement continuous performance management so it becomes a sort of culture change. So we'll link into that and pull this all together and the practicalities of how you can make this a reality in your organisation. As ever, check the show notes because there will be links to useful downloads for you, the research review, etc. so you can put this into action and use it practically. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There, you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.